One of the biggest things that developers struggle with is design. It's super easy to look at an application and know that it looks terrible, but it's harder to explain why. This episode, we're joined by Steve Shoger, co-author of the hugely popular Refactoring UI. We'll learn some design tips and dive into the story behind the book, as well as his other projects, Hero Patterns and Hero Icons. Let's dive right in. Welcome to the Ladybug Podcast. I'm Kelly. I'm Allie. And I'm Emma. And we're debugging the tech industry. Hey, Kelly, have you heard about this cool tool called AWS Amplify? Tell me about it. It's a suite of tools and services that enables developers to build full-stack, serverless, and cloud-based web and mobile apps. You get to use whichever framework or technology you want on the front end. That sounds cool. Will it help me get up and running with things like hosting? Yeah. Authentication? You betcha. Manage GraphQL? Totally. How about serverless functions, APIs, machine learning, chatbots, file storage? Yes to everything! Amplify is built especially in a way to enable traditionally front-end developers, like yourself, Kelly, to be successful because you can use your existing skill set to build real-world, full-stack apps that in the past would require deep knowledge around back-end, DevOps, and scalable infrastructure. The Amplify console also allows you to use a GitHub repository to deploy to a globally available CDN with CI and CD built-in. It's super cool. Where can I learn more? If you want to learn more about AWS Amplify, visit aws-amplify.github.io. First of all, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. You're someone that I've admired in the industry for a long time, so I'm thrilled to be talking with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. So I guess we'll just jump right in, and could you just like give us an introduction to who you are? Tell us more about your coding and design journey, and just, yeah, let's just hear it all. Sure. Um, so I'm a visual designer from Ontario, Canada. Uh, many people know me as sort of the guy who posts hot design tips on Twitter. Um, I post UI refactorings on YouTube. So I take like a, a user-submitted design uh, that's like kind of poorly designed and refactor by the end of the video. It's all like looking nice and polished like something a designer would do. I most recently co-wrote the book Refactoring UI, like you said, with my friend Adam Wathen, um, that aims to teach design to developers. Um, my journey into design, I guess it just sort of starts... As like when I was a child, I always had a general interest in like art and design. Um, I like to I liked illustrating a lot when I was a young kid. Like if my mom needed a break from like parenting, uh, she was able to just give me like some pencil and a, and a paper, and I was able to spend hours drawing pictures of like my favorite cartoon characters. Um, in, in high school, I got really into like music and playing guitar, and I always like coming up with like cool band name ideas and then making logos for them. And I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do after high school. My my art teacher he kind of encouraged me to take this new course that was being offered at uh, Fanshawe College in London, Ontario, uh, which is called it was called Multimedia Design and Production. It was a brand new program, um, and it was a really practical, hands on program, which is how I learned best. And this covered everything from design. Like we learned a lot, a lot of like Photoshop basics, like a lot of the Adobe basics. Uh, we learned some video production um, and then some web development. So it was kind of just like a little bit of everything to get my hands dirty. Um, and I mean, at the time, this is like in 2004. So I, we were learning a lot of Flash, and Flash was still owned by like Macromedia at the at the time. Uh, so super dated stuff that I, like you know I, I had to like relearn everything after I finish that program. Um, regardless, when I was taking that program, I was really drawn into the design stuff. Um, I I learned some basic front-end development. But I mean, a lot of that was like relying on Dreamweaver uh, to put a site together, <laughs> which was fine. Uh, but, you know, it got me started in web. 
but yeah, I was really interested in, in making like websites and putting that stuff together. Um, but following that program, I took uh, music industry arts, which is because I really wanted to get into the music business. Um, and it was at the same college. It was kind of a hard program to get into. I applied to it the first time around and I didn't get in. But then after I had my multimedia diploma, they accepted me into the program. Following that program, I spent a lot of time interning at a few like record labels, doing a lot of stuff I was doing from multimedia. So I was like managing websites and I was designing like MySpace pages, which I really enjoyed, but I wasn't getting paid for anything I did because it was like the music industry. So I, I did want to get a job in design, but I also lacked, the, at this time, I kind of lacked the confidence as a designer. Like I understood a bit of web and a bit of design, but I didn't really get really great at either. I was just kind of like a jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing. Uh, so I just lacked all the confidence to do that. And this is also the peak at this time. This is like the peak of like the 2009 recession. Mm. So uh, at this time, I thought like it was like really hard to get a job in anything. Um, I thought not a bad time to go back to school. So I ended up taking advertising copywriting uh, just, you know, to add to my list of things that complemented one another. But, you know, they didn't. I don't think I was ever going to be a great writer either. <laughs> Um, but regardless, it was like a one year postgrad program that, uh, it was sort of set up to build your portfolio. Like I was like making fake, uh, ads to go into my portfolio. And by the end of the year, you'd ideally like get a job at an agency, uh, which I thought I wanted to maybe do design. I wanted, like, wanted to go like work in an advertising agency, making like, like doing the visuals for ads. But that year I spent a lot of time working like on the I spent more time working on the design for the ads those fake ads I was making as opposed to actually like writing good copy um and I like that year I learned a lot about typography a lot of like graphic design basics and that was all kind of like sort of self-taught sort of like I knew where to pick things up from what I previously learned and I think this just reminded me that I really just wanted to be a designer and I spent a lot of time working on my personal website to showcase like these fake ads uh, but I also designed a lot of fake websites to pre- practice design. Um, really, just wanted to showcase my my web design work in my portfolio. So I d- and and at this point, I was much more confident with my design work, and um, and I just used that as my portfolio. and And I started interviewing, like doing informational interviews at companies, and uh, that kind of landed me my first job. So, and then I've been doing that for about ten years now. So. Wait, your first job is the same company? Uh, my first job was at like a, a small web design agency in downtown Toronto. Um, okay. Uh, we worked on more like marketing sites, uh, a lot of like flash games. Was, what I was working on, yeah. And then you know, and then I ended up working at like more like like startups, and then I worked at a, like different companies. Uh, I worked at like uh, sort of a, an educational company, like we built like e learning software. Um, and then following that, I got burnt out with that job because um, I was really dedicated to that job. I, like I took my work home with me a lot, and I didn't like that. And I really liked working on my own stuff in the evening as well. Uh, but I had to get out of that that job. I went into I, I got a job at like an insurance company, and it was sort of like a job where I didn't really care if I got fired. To be honest, I like, <laughs> oh, no. work my eight, I work my like eight hours a day. But by the time my day was done, like I wasn't stressed out, and I was able to like work on freelance work or mm-hmm. just my my side hustles, right? It wasn't challenging you. Yeah, exactly. And so I did that for a while, and it sort of built up. Uh, I I started working on some like little side projects, sort of like start building my audience on Twitter, and I thought that might lead to like more exciting, fun projects. Um, and 
then after working at that job for like two years and kind of doing that side hustle for two years, I kind of built up a little bit of a reputation so I could kind of take the leap. And I, I, I at the time, I met my friend Adam Wathen, the guy who co-wrote the book with, and uh, he was kind of like building a reputation within the Laravel community. And he started, um, he was friends with Taylor, who's the creator of Laravel, and he kind of recommended me uh, to him. And Taylor gave me a few projects. And then he also worked at an agency called Titan Co., which is based out of Chicago. And uh, Taylor and Titan, they both needed a designer, uh, but they didn't need one full time. So we worked out something where I worked like one week with Taylor, one week with Titan, and I had one week off to kind of do other freelance work or just do side hustles. And during that time, week off, I would spend a lot of time like just kind of building my audience more. And uh, but it was a nice, it was a nice flexible position to be in to do that to work on side hustles. That is a dream situation, especially, you know, I've spent a lot of time doing the freelance projects and having those like long-term solid like clients that you can kind of work from and base your, uh, you know, your salary off of essentially, and then still have that that entire week to do your own project. That's amazing. Yeah, it was really, it was a really nice, I'm really grateful for the guys for like kind of setting that up and it it worked great for them because like like I said, they didn't need a full-time designer, but it sort of kind of paved the way for me to like, uh, like I started growing my audience, but I also had like them kind of like helping me out through that process. So it, it was great. And then that led to like, after, after working with them for a while, um, I started building my audience. Like, I mean, this is sort of like tells the story of like when I started working on the book, I spent a lot of time, like people, like I said, know me for like the hot tips. I was starting to do those on Twitter and they started getting more and more popular and it, it turned into like, I started to realize I'm going to like, oh, I might work on a book or something. I had that idea a while ago. And, um, the way they kind of, they were pretty flexible in the sense that like they knew I was going to be working on a book. And I said, I need some actual time off to finish this book. And, uh, about three months prior to finishing the book, I said, can I just have the time off unpaid? And, um, you know, if the book doesn't well, do well, I can come back if it does do well, like we can start that conversation again. So they're really flexible in that sense. That's super great. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm curious what your typical day-to-day like is now. Right now, I'm kind of working full-time with Adam. Like we did the book together and that kind of gave us like some, like it gave me my financial freedom. Adam was already kind of working. He had already had success working on a few uh, courses, like video courses. And... Uh, but after the launch of Refactoring UI, we were like I was able to like just go full time doing my own thing, and uh, what we're, the project we're working on right now is we're building like Adam does. Uh, Adam's why then he's mostly known for um, creating the Tailwind CSS framework. Um, like I said, he's he's been successful launching uh, video courses uh, on like Vue and TDD. Um, and he does like a, a full stack. He does a he does a podcast as well called Full Stack Radio, and he contributes a lot to the Laravel community. Uh, but he's been work. We've been kind of working full time on Tailwind for the past year, on and off. Like I've been doing a lot of other things. Like I've been doing a lot more conference speaking this year. And uh, I mean that's worth noting too, because like I spent a lot of times this year just preparing conference talks, because like conference talks take me like a long time to make. Like just my process for making a conference talk is like writing a talk like and like kind of scripting it in a way, even though I don't like read it word for word. I, it is sort of a script uh, because I'm kind of doing refactorings on stage and I, it needs to be like laid out in a nice flow. Uh, so I spent a lot of time doing that this year. Uh, we've been working on Tailwind and we're kind of going to be re- releasing another 
project together, like another commercial project that's sort of attached to the Tailwind framework. So Tailwind is sort of this, uh, it's a CSS framework that takes like a utility first approach. So um, sort of the elevator pitch to it is like, if I wanted to, each sort of like CSS property has a class attached to it. And it has a sort of a design system attached to it. So um, let's say if I want to design like a button, right? It would be like, uh, I decide uh, the, the in the markup, it would be like I'd have a bunch of classes, uh, utility classes attached to it. So it'd be like uh, text, white, uh, background color would be like whatever color you define, border radius. And it had a bunch of utilities attached to it. And um, that is kind of, it's done pretty well. It's become quite popular. Um, and the, but still, people still want the components with that. Like, I mean, like, Tailwind doesn't come with any pre built components. So people still mm-hmm. want that. Um, so we thought that's a great way to sort of monetize that project. Uh, so we're building pre-built components that are designed by me and built by Adam. And we're going to oh, be, we've been so working on awesome. that full time for the past, uh, three, four months now. I'm excited for that. I've got to say, <laughs> like as someone who works on design systems, like that's <laughs> thrilling to hear. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, that's uh, great. Yeah. Do you use Tailwind? Have you kind of dabbled in Tailwind yet? So ironically, I started an open source project for coding mentors called Coding Coach, and my lead dev is obsessed with Tailwind. Like, oh, that's but awesome. As someone who runs the open source project, like I don't actually develop anything, and so like I haven't used it, but everyone keeps coming to me like, have you used Tailwind? Have you used Tailwind? It's awesome. <laughs> so I haven't, <laughs> but I plan to. I, yeah, a lot of people are a little turned off by it, like looking at it at first glance. Like all the, they see all those utilities in the markup and they see that kind of looks messy. But honestly, like once you start using it, like the only critics I find that are around the tailwind are, are, are people who like have just looked at it and are played with it. But like once people use it, they're like, I can't go back to anything else. This is the way to write CSS. So I think that goes without saying for, for most things. I mean, there's going to be a bit of a learning curve, but you have to accept that learning curve if you're ever going to give like a, a valid opinion, I, I guess. It's not even just like a learning curve. I feel like it's like a paradigm shift almost, right? Like things like... Well, yeah. The thing is like we see JavaScript evolving a lot just because it's such a fast-paced like programming language, right? But CSS doesn't really change very often. What Like we had SAS come out, which is great, but then CSS variables came out. But now, you know, Tailwind was the first big thing that I heard of recently um, that was like the next big thing. So it's just a paradigm shift that people have to get used to. Yeah, definitely. Tailwind sort of like made me more confident as a developer. Like I hated sort of managing two files where I had my markup in one file, then I had my CSS file and just... It got so messy for me so quickly, and I was so embarrassed handing it off to an actual developer. Where Tailwind, it's all just in one file. It's like it's pretty clean if you ask me when I hand it off, and mm-hmm. it's like what I hand off is pretty close to what a developer would make in Tailwind. You know what I mean? So right, I like it in that sense. Like SAS, when stuff stuff like SAS came out, like that just made it even harder for me because it was just like more stuff to like. <laughs> put on top of this <laughs> mm-hmm. thing that I already don't understand fully. So Right. All this syntactical sugar. Yeah, I totally empathize with that. Um, but it seems like Tailwind is one tool that's helping bridge the gap between design and, and engineering. 
Um, and for me, that's kind of what refactoring UI did. Um, and we'll get into refactoring UI in just a second, but I want to quickly touch on hero patterns and hero icons because those are also two really cool projects that you work on. So could you just give like a high-level overview of what those two are? Yeah. Um, so hero patterns is a collection of SVG background patterns. Um, I sort of made that just to fulfill my desire to build things and put them out there into the world. Um, I, at, this is a time when, like, I, I, I was, I built that to sort of help build an audience because I thought it'd be like, I thought it would lead to cooler opportunities, like I said. Um, and I, I think making like free resources like that is, a, it's a great way for any designer to create value, right? Mm. Um, and, and prior to this, like, I, I released like a free open source icon set. Um, uh, so I thought it was just be like a fun project because um, there weren't a lot of resources out there like that at the time. Like there was like there was like subtlepatterns.com, which is background patterns, but there's nothing that kind of utilizes the utilize like SVG. Mm-hmm. Um, and SVG is, I, I I think it was kind of like still a little foreign to a lot of people the the whole technology there. So that was a fun project, and you know that that it, it's still like a lot of people still visit that to this day. Um, and I don't really update that site at all anymore. I want to start updating it again, but uh, you know, time. Heroicons—they're uh, a set of SVG marketing icons that are—they're uh, sort of designed to be easy to customize with CSS. Um, like, so each SVG icon has multiple paths inside of them, and they, each of those paths has like a unique. CSS class, so you can easily change the colors. So, like, you can define like an accent color to align with your brand. Um, again, I sort of made that to fulfill my desire to build things and and put them out there into the world. Um, this these are is gorgeous. I just want to say for those of you not watching, is... these are beautiful icons, and like, I haven't seen anything like this personally. We'll link it in the show notes. But the the amount of detail in these SVGs is insane to me. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the coolest things about about this in particular is we're so like, we visit a website and everything's always font awesome yeah, yeah, when it yeah. comes to icons. Which is like... <laughs> so switching things up is amazing. Yeah. The, uh, and they, they like font awesome icons are sort of designed to be like more of like in a sort of like within an app, like like a small icon. And then, the, but like developers will, like, will blow yeah. them up to be like three times the size, their intended yeah. size, and they'd look awful. <laughs> um, so... Yep. I mean, thanks. Like, I mean, Horocons, I, I, like, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I, maybe you can relate, but it's just like, it's something I did a while ago. I'm not proud of them anymore. I think they're ugly, but just, they're oh, like I a little like dated, them. but. But I'm also just purely an engineer, so. <laughs> yeah. But you you know what I mean? When it's just like you, you work on something and you just kind of look back at your old work and you're like, Ugh, I can't believe I did that kind of thing. So yeah. I like, I've always thought about like, uh, just kind of discontinuing them because, uh, I really like the Horocons name and I like that domain name. They're sort of oh, like the hero patterns and the heroicons. Oh. Yeah, and I really like the whole brand around that. Like the he- like, I also have a few other domain names that I'm kind of holding on to for like other like hero resources and sort of building a brand around it. that. Yeah, and That's I really cool. want to turn heroicons into like a bigger like thing, like much more like where it has like multiple sets of icons and, but you know, time, That's like maybe I'll get cool. to it one day. Yeah, for sure. I think that's cool. And just, you know, I think a, a lot of developers understand why SVG is important, but they don't necessarily understand that 
as you scale them, the level of granularity can become more granular. Like all these simplistic, smaller SVGs are not meant to be as detailed as the larger ones. Like that's something we take for granted. But Horocons was, yeah, that was cool. Like that was like the difference between that project and Hero Patterns was I made Horocons a commercial product. Um, I thought it'd be cool to try and sell something. Um, I think it made like like 10K in the first week, which is like, it's respectable for like a first time launch online. So um, I think it's made like... And that was before I had like a kind of a following. So it's kind of continued selling to date. I think it's like I launched it like three, four years ago. And I think it's made like 30K. Oh, my so, gosh. This is just amazing. proof to anyone listening that like if you have something that you're proud of, mo- you can monetize it and make money like passively. And it, there's no overhead if you're doing like yeah. electronic goods. And I think even to push it further, even if you're no longer proud of it, it's still <laughs> so, going yeah. to make you money. Well, <laughs> Well, it's just out there, and I don't touch it anymore. I haven't touched it since I launched yeah. it, and that's nice. And it just kind of makes passive income, yeah. It's the dream passive income scenario. You literally don't have to do anything, even as far as maintenance yeah. goes. Like, they're out there. They're yeah. ready for you. This is, like, the perfect idea for somebody who's looking to get into some kind of passive Absolutely. income stream. Absolutely. So, okay, with that, I want to transition into one of my favorite books of all time. I I vaguely, I distinctly remember exactly when I read it sitting at my dining room table and it was it was completely night out but I sat there and I read the entire book from cover to cover in one sitting and I am just like a huge fan girl of refactoring UI because until I had found this book I had struggled with design and I still like my designers will tell you I still struggle with design but not to the extent I used to um it, it just it made so much sense and if you know some of the it's not just a book I want to say that right like you have a series of blog posts and I'll let you like d- discuss that a little bit more but yeah sure sure yeah I mean you just go to refactoring UI which we'll link in the show notes and some of the articles that come up are seven practical tips for cheating at design or how to use fewer borders and thinking outside the database and so all of these are so practical and so actionable that they're invaluable. So do you want to just give a quick overview of what is refactoring UI? How did you go about building it? What was that process like? So yeah, refactoring UI, it, it sort of aims to teach uh, design to developers using like, you know, sort of aim to like use, like do design with tactics instead of talent. Um, I mean, a lot of developers, they just want to make their stuff look good without learning all of the graphic design theory. Uh, they just want to the clear, actionable knowledge that they can take and apply to the design right away. It's like instant gratification, right? The the sort of the inspiration around refactoring UI is, is like like I, like I've been working with Adam for a few years, uh, and like we've been working together for about like five six years now. Um, and early on, we started working on a few projects that will probably never see the light of day. Uh, but it, it sort of got like we realized we liked working with each other. He would always wear the developer hat, and I would wear the design hat, and we found ourselves working on design together a lot. And he was really interested in design as well. Uh, and the way Adam's brain works is that he'd really try to understand the designs, the design decisions I was making from like a very logical analytical point of view. And like most designers, I was just more of like sort of the intuitive creative type. Um, and just the fact that I, I've been doing it for so long, um, I, I just sort of relied on my instincts to make a lot of decisions. Um, and sometimes he would like point out something that I did that he thought was interesting. And he would articulate in a very clear, logical way. of, And, and that made sense to me. Adam... Like I said, he he had a lot of success with his courses, uh, with launches getting up into like the six figures in sales, uh, which was really inspiring to me. And 
I thought I could make a book targeted towards developers, teaching them design in sort of that logical way that Adam approaches it. I mean, going back, like I'm like really at this time, like, I mean, this is back when I was still trying to build my audience and Adam really encouraged me to grow my audience in that sense. And I always had the idea of like making like a book, but it's become like sort of this big project, right? Where it's become a series of blog posts and videos and tips and um, and that really helped grow my audience. And uh, the tips just went viral. Like they went way bigger than I ever expected. That sort of became like the marketing engine for the book that we uh, we put together. At first, when I started making tips, I would be like working on a project and I might like notice something I did a few times. And I'd be like, oh, that's a cool little insight there. And I took a screenshot of what I was working on and made a little, like wrote a little thing of like what I did and why I did it. And the first few did well, like on Twitter, like I had maybe like a thousand followers at the time. And like the, these tweets were getting like 40 or 50 likes, which was a lot of like Twitter engagement for me at that time. And then each one was getting bigger than last. So eventually they're getting like 300 likes, 400 likes. And, and then, um, and also like Adam started like getting involved when I was making like tips. So he might share like a little insight and I would spend some time, um, uh, like sometimes up to like a week working on it passively. Uh, so he'd come up with like a little tip idea. Maybe that I didn't really think of like as a tip, but it's like, he's a developer. He's like, Oh no, developers like love this. They will eat that up. Uh, where for me, like, like one tip he gave me was like, Oh, like I don't like a little vertical offset to box shadows. Right. And for me, I just always did that. I just thought like, yeah, everyone knows that. Right. And he goes, no, developers have no idea, man. And I'm like, okay, awesome. So I made that a tip and I, you know, I put together something and that blew up. That got like 1200 likes when I first posted it. And I'm like, okay, there's like something here. And we, we kept on putting tips together. And sometimes we spend like, like two weeks on a tip, like from like the birth of an idea to like, like building, like they become much more polished after it wasn't just me taking a screenshot anymore, but it was me like making an original little design to communicate that idea. Right. That's funny. And it's funny that box shadow was one of those things because that to me is an enigma. I, every box shadow I make looks terrible. I don't know how to use them and I don't know how to make them look good. So that's, yeah. Like uh, uh, developers would like do like equal spread around the entire like container and it would be like a big, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm guessing and like grasping at straws every single time I, I use box shadow again, every, every yeah. single time. It's uh, It was funny. It was like, when he pointed that out to me, I'm like, okay, there's like, there's a lot, there's a lot more stuff I know that I didn't think I knew kind of thing. Um, anyways, like Adam was helping me so much that it only made, it only seemed fair to like form a partnership and, and co-write the book. And I think it turned out infinitely better because of that. Um, so, but we wanted to kind of keep that marketing engine going. We did a few blog posts, we did a blog post together. And the first one we did was sort of like taking, um, a site that someone sent us and it was a medium post. And like, but at the beginning it was the original design they sent us. And then we kind of go through the design step-by-step improving. And by the end, it was like a nice polished design. And we did, we thought we were going to do those like every week, but it took us so long to make that one. We're like, yeah, let's not do that again. And, um, but we thought it'd be cool to like do those, do that format in a form of a video. He, his idea for that was like, like you should just do like a live stream and like do a refactoring in like an hour, right? Or like an hour or two, right? But that didn't really appeal to me. Like I, I'm not really good at live streaming. I've tried it before. It's just like, 
especially with design, it's like I like me designing half the time. I'm just like like just sitting there thinking, like, oh, what should I do here? And it's like that won't be a really good live stream. But like, I thought, what if I do like a more like post production, like like a nice like fifteen minute video where you know I spend like two weeks making the like design and and then kind of taking it from beginning to end and then doing all this post-production, like adding music to making it like a much more like a fun video. And, uh, those did really well. Like I, 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 I knew like, I also wanted to spend a lot of time on it and making it really good because I knew like, I already started building a following. I already had like a newsletter of like, like 10,000 people on it at this point. And we we're going to mail it out to that mailing list. Uh, so I wanted to be like really high quality cause I knew like it was going to get a lot of eyes on it. And if it was, really high quality is going to even do better than that and they they did really well like the, the second po- video i posted it 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 got posted on reddit it got posted on like ha- on hacker news and those went all viral so everything was just working out great for us you have 157,000 views on this one and for those listening we're going to link his screencasts down below in the show notes and i remember watching some of these it's basically like fixer upper but ui edition and i love it um so highly recommend checking those out because i think it's easy to sit and say like, oh, instead of a border, use, you know, different spacing or, you know, different, like maybe use uppercase text and and title case text to like section things a little bit easier. But to actually watch the process from start to finish is so fascinating. Yeah, there's like little tips throughout the video, um, but it's just nice to see the the design transform throughout the entire duration of the video, um, I think. so. Absolutely. Well, I mean, when it came time to write the book like Adam and I we like worked together like we spent a lot of time like working on an outline for the book and when it came time to write it um the way the work was split up is Adam would sort of craft all the words and I would put all the images together and that was like a good equal distribu- uh, distribution of work and Adam was like I think much better at articulating the concepts than I was um and it, it was sort of like taking this, a lot of stuff that I knew and, and sort of filtering it through like a developer brain to communicate it better to developers. And, um, but like, there's also like, it's, it's basically also like a picture book. There's like 300 images in the book. I think I put together, they're all like original designs. So, uh, it was a lot of work on both of our ends to put that together, but it took us like three months from beginning to end working on it full time. And, uh, it, uh, it was, it, it was exciting. And, um, uh, and uh, it's sort of like when we launched it, it was sort of this bittersweet kind of like I really like the the process of making something. And, and when it's out there, it's kind of like, OK, what do I do now? Right. And, you know, fortunately, Adam and I kept working together and working on our projects together. But I, at the time, I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't know we we're going to be continuing to work together. I thought that was like, OK, we launched this and we're going to go do our own things now. So, wow. Yeah, that's really cool. And I think that's super inspirational as well. Um, I think writing a an ebook in particular, because you don't do physical copies, correct? It's just ebook. Yeah, like a lot of people want the physical copy. They keep asking. And it's oh, I uh, would totally buy that in a heartbeat. Yeah, I, I know. But, I, but that's a I, lot uh, harder to do. It is, and we we are th- kind of thinking of making um, not just an ebook, but like more of like a web based version. Yeah, uh, that'll be like the next edition because we ha- we have ideas for like a second edition of like w- like we have a, a few new tip ideas, um, and we 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 thought it'd be cool to like deliver it in like sort of like a web based version where you can um, 
maybe like maybe we can include some animation chapters in it and that would really lend itself to the 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 web-based version so yes please <laughs> that's like sort of the next phase but that's you know i mean we got a few projects that, that we're gonna yeah. put up there before we do that so awesome yeah no that's really cool i i'm looking forward to all of that i would love to see a web-based version of the book and of course animations sound incredible yeah and it, it seems it's just more environmentally friendly i guess than a, than a oh, physical absolutely. book oh right? absolutely Absolutely. I want to maybe switch gears for a second. And I want to talk about some maybe like tangible piece of, pieces of advice, f- like from a design perspective. So like, first of all, like, what do you th- what do you think? What areas of design do developers struggle the most with in terms of maybe like color, topography, spacing, things like that? I think like spacing is always like, it's probably the most common one. I feel like, like that's becoming less and less of a problem with when I see like developer design spacing is sort of like when you go to like a blog post of like the you know the five ways to get good at design, it's like spacing is always like the top of those those posts, and so it's sort of been drilled in 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 the heads of developers that that's like the problem area. So I'm starting to see that improve when I see developer designs. I think page width is a big one for me. So I often see sites with like you know they have a 1280 page width, and like the paragraph text will stretch the across the entire screen. Um, and I think it's important to understand, like, it's okay to constrain your content, even though it, it's not gonna, like, just because you have the real estate on your display, it doesn't mean, it doesn't make for like an enjoyable reading experience if your eyes have to jump from one end to the other of your huge display. Uh, another thing is fonts. Like, I mean, developers will often rely on like Google fonts, which are okay. Yeah. Um, there are a few good ones for sure. It's sort of like it's sort of like font awesome. It's like you see developers just using it over and over and over again. It's yeah. I see that with fonts too. Like every developer will use like Leto or Open Sans, and it's just yeah. like I I I think it's really worth investing in a few good fonts or using a font service like like Adobe Fonts or um, it's. I think it's noticeable when you have like good original fonts, you know. Oh, absolutely. Like that kind of, it like sets certain websites apart. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, it's funny going back to like paragraph width. It's like as developers, we kind of forget um, that users exist sometimes because we're we're kind of far removed from users. Design has a much, much closer presence to them. And so we forget the fact that people's eyes get tired when they're reading long with paragraphs. Um, not only that, like if your line spacing is too condensed or like if your characters are too condensed, like all of these things affect the physical ability of someone to read. So while we do have the real estate, like you said, you don't need to use it. You should, I feel like you should know how to efficiently use the space you're given without just trying to fill everything. Yeah. Yeah. What's like the recommended, so there's, there's got, there's a recommended, like I'm going to characters you should have on a line. I, it's funny. I like I, it's like 80 characters or something like that. Or, uh, but you know what I mean? Obviously like it's, there's like some guidelines, but uh, right. Well, I would love to ask you if you could give like a quick, not definition, but like as a developer when I was starting out, I didn't realize that design has multiple different areas, like the difference between UX design versus visual design. So, could you briefly just tell our audience maybe what the difference is? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's funny. A lot of designers like are just like, yeah, I don't really know what the difference is. Either. Oh, um, <laughs> that <laughs> no. makes me feel better. <laughs> No, I mean, there is definitely overlap. UI design is sort of like it's user interface. It's sort of like the thing you kind of see and interact with. Like UX design is sort of everything. Like UX design is, 
UI design, right? Mm-hmm. Like it is the use the, the UI is the user experience. Uh, but UX is sort of like everything. It's sort of like just my just the experience of like sitting up a computer, opening the browser before I even get to your site is part of that experience. And uh, so it's just everything around that, right? And it, it's sort of like like I think a good UX designer is able to almost look look at the user's day and like say like what does their day look like and when when are they like um, and what do they do from like to get from point A to point B? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that involves everything from like yeah I don't know it involves everything from just like like I said like just sitting at your desk and like just browsing on the internet and taking a break and going to do the actual the job that needs to get done. I don't know. Is that a well? I threw you that curveball question. That was like a special one. Um, I hate sure. when people ask me those kinds of questions in interviews. So I guess I'm sorry that I asked you that. No, um, no, it's okay. <laughs> um, no, I think it's you know we forget that design is not making things look pretty. Having a nice looking UI is part of the process but at the end of the day there's a lot of psychology behind why things are done the way that they're done Um, when we think about ux heuristics and how people navigate throughout a user interface and like for example if you take the process of checking out on a website you know one one of those is you want to have all the information readily available at every step of the process so they aren't sitting there if they're buying a flight they're not questioning did i pick the right date or you know how much is this going to cost like make that information readily available at every step um you know and making sure your information architecture makes sense like these are very important things that i think as engineers we are either unaware that this is important or that it exists or we kind of forget yeah and like i said like like the ui design is important like it's like the visual design is all it's all part of that user experience and you know something's uh i I, like i think if something's more beautiful people are willing to spend more time with it um regardless of the if the experience is like perfect or not so do you have any tips for a developer who is just starting out they want to learn a little bit more about visual design maybe do you have any tips on when you should use a border versus like spacing or you know maybe anything like that like let me just like look at my my old twitter tips that i can share (laughs) i already figured this out once let me just refer back to what i said before (laughs) reusing content is the best thing to do so absolutely and also we're definitely going to be linking to these tips as as well yeah for sure for sure i'm just trying to think of like the most like radio friendly tips like some like a a lot of stuff is like i have to explain to be like with a visual sometimes (laughs) it's like what's like a good radio friendly (laughs) i know that's really hard like we just did uh we recorded another episode about like algorithms and data structures and do you know how hard it is to describe those things without having a visual diagram (laughs) it's sort of funny when you go on these podcasts and it's just like uh, explain like design without visuals yeah. it's like oh <laughs> yeah um yeah like um I, I i mean just looking at some of my tips here some of my favorite ones are like you know um like using fewer borders um like does borders can make your design look really busy um i try to replace borders with like more space um you can also um, use like a different background colors to kind of distinguish two sections of a design instead of like adding a border in between them. Um, if you have like a container like it's on top of something, instead of like putting a border around it, like maybe just add a box shadow to kind of create that distinction between the the foreground and the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, another tip like I see designers do a lot is like don't use gray text on a colored background. Um, like when you use like pure gray text, like just basically like black, that's just kind of where like instead of like something that's saturated a little bit, uh, it always looks a little bit off on. Like, so if you use like gray text on like 
um, like a blue background. It sort of looks kind of clashy. It doesn't really, it sort of looks off. Um, so if you have like a blue background, instead of making the uh, text gray, like saturate with a bit of the background. So it's like sort of like has a little bit of blue hue in it. And um, I think that looks a bit cleaner. I mean, you gave the tip about the the length of text mm-hmm. on the page. That still counts. Yeah, um, that's like I think that's a great tip. Like, just sort of uh, be mindful of like your reading width, and uh, when you read from like, think about like at, like when you're reading, when you read from like one end to the other, when you like jump from one line to the next, is your eye kind of getting really strained trying to figure out like what line you're on? One of my favorite tips is um, sort of inverting. It's, it's, it's an accessibility tip. Uh, it's sort of like inverting your background colors with like, let's say you have like a red button with white text on it. Sometimes it's like hard to get like good contrast ratios with that white text on a, on a red button. Um, or even a better example is like like lighter colors, like yellow or green, right? Sometimes it's really hard to get like good contrast ratios with like mm-hmm. yellow. If you have like a yellow button and white text, um, that yellow to get it like a good contrast ratio, it's no longer going to look yellow. It's going to start looking brown, right? Uh, so I find a good way to like treat that is like sort of invert it. So use like a a soft light yellow background and make the text like again going back to that um, using like a colored text on a colored background. So using like a a darker version of that darker shade of that yellow on top of the the yellow button. I think that's it, it's, it's sort of like a, there's a double tip in there. Number one, it like looks better. I think um, it helps get like good contrast ratios. In some cases, if you want to like de-emphasize something too, it's a little more subtle. So if you have like a high severity mm. button, um, you don't want like that big red button like standing out more than your primary action on the page. Like if you want to like, mm. if you're going to like have a, like a deactivate your account, it might be like a big red button and that's going to like overpower your like primary action on the page. You might want to de-emphasize it a bit. So again, using that like soft red background with the darker red text to um, mix it more accessible and mix it more aesthetically pleasing, I find. Yeah, it's like what is the most important thing on this page right now? And that's what needs to be emphasized the most. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. Awesome. I was- I hope that came across clear on on the radio. I was going to say, it's like, I'm like, are these, is this being communicated clearly? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it did. Yeah. yeah. It means yeah. to us. So at least you had two listeners who got it. <laughs> yeah. So I have one final question for you. And that's, that's where can we find you on the internet? Website, social media, shout out to whatever you want. Uh, I can be found on Twitter at Steve Shoger. You can go to refactoringui.com. That's where we kind of share all of our refactoring UI resources. Uh, refactoringui.com slash book is where you can find the book. Like I said, I'm heavily involved in the Tailwind project. So you can check out tailwindcss.com. Um, uh, if you're interested in learning about that framework, you can check it out there. The components we're releasing for that project, which we're hoping to launch in February, is uh, Tailwind UI. So it's tailwindui.com. And... Uh, yeah, and I guess you'll have in the show notes that you'll you, we talked about hero patterns or world cons. I guess they're all worth checking out. So, uh, yeah, that's all I can think of at the moment. I have a YouTube channel, so just uh, go check him out. He has like thirty thousand subscribers. He's great. Do I? Wow. Holy yeah. Crap. Oh, <laughs> you, you know, know what? That? I don't. <laughs> I don't go. Uh, I those videos like burnt me out. I stopped making them. Yeah. And, uh, I, I want to make more. It just, they take so long to produce one and I don't really, I'm not super active on YouTube, but clearly I should be more. Cause, uh, 
Absolutely. Uh, that's a lot of subscribers. <laughs> awesome. So thank you, Steve, yeah. so much for taking the time to talk with us today. I know Emma's been fangirling about this uh, this particular episode for <laughs> ever since it was uh, scheduled, let's say that. Um, so yeah, thank you. Thanks again so much. And we'll have all these things linked in the show notes. So yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah, thank you. Uh, if you like this episode, tweet about it. We're actually going to be giving away one copy of Refactoring UI. So we'll be picking one tweeter to win. And we post new episodes every Monday. So make sure you subscribe to be notified and leave us a review. 